Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org slash connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table, and it really comes from this vision that God's given us that Restore would be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. All right, good morning. How is everyone? Good? Everyone's good? Awesome. Um, I'm Ivor. I'm the lead pastor of Moon Tower Church. And... We're the sister church, Cheery Store. I'm so excited to be here this morning. Anytime I get to come up here and share, um, it's just such a gift from God, and I'm just so grateful. So I'm glad to be here, and um, people ask me all the time, like, how did the Restore and Moon Tower thing happen? Well, um, me and Zach, we uh, met each other about 15 years ago, and so we worked FCA camps together, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, we were college athletes, and so a bunch of us would come together in the summers, and we'd be camp counselors, and we would just like spend all night hanging out and be like super tired for the entire week and just be really crazy the whole time. And so Zach and I, we were always in large groups together, but I don't think we ever had like really a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, but we, you know, like most times you do when you meet people, you add them on social media. And so we were friends on social media and we kind of just like liked and commented on each other's stuff, you know, like as you would usually do. And so um, I really liked that Zach was engaging in these like really hard topics and controversial topics. Some may call controversial, but it was necessary. Like if we want to eradicate hate, injustice, racism, sexism, and all these things, um, that exists in the structure and bones of God's church. And so for many churches, like intolerance was a value that was laid in the foundation of these churches in order to create this social order. And so fighting against these things can leave you really lonely. And in a place, um, and then we were in this place where the opportunity for Moon Tower came up. And I wouldn't do this, honestly, with anyone else but Zach. And this is like, not to toot Zach's horn the whole time, but this is just a true thing um, that I believe, you know, because I saw him doing the work, and I knew um, that I would be walking into a predominantly white space, and so I was very candid with Zach. I, I asked him um, what it was that we would be up against, and I asked Zach, like, are people ready for me as a woman, and are people ready for me specifically as a black woman? And so Zach was very honest. He was, like, internally we're, re we're ready for this. Like, we've been doing the work. We're excited about you and all these things. And he was like, but externally, we're going to run up against some things. There are some people who have supported us in the past, and they will not support us um, because you're a woman and specifically because you're a black woman. And so um, immediately when I came on staff, we lost a lot of funding. And so 
it becomes really disheartening. You know, you, uh, I expect it a little bit. I've been through it my whole life, but when you experience it that way in the church, you know, I've experienced probably more church hurt in the last year and a half than I have in my whole life of, you know, just this time that I've been a pastor. And so I believe that's why we're here. That's why we care so much about this thing, and that's why we want to pursue justice in a way that's pleasing to God. And so, you know, I asked Zach, and he answered very candidly, and he says, you know what, and this was not in like a white savior way, but just an ally. He was like, I'm going to be in front of as much stuff as possible, and we're going to do this thing together. And so I was like, okay, (laughs) all right. I was like, let's do this. And so the first year we fought, like we fought a lot. We fought on a lot of different fronts. Um, You wouldn't believe the things that came up um, within this first year from large organizations, smaller organizations, individual church, mega churches. I mean, it was to the point where I was like, why do people care so much about us and what we're doing? It felt like we were under this microscope. And so we kept going and we pursued the calling that we believe that God placed on this church, that God placed into the kingdom and God placed into our hearts And we stayed on mission. And so we launched Moon Tower in September 2021, which was super exciting. And we've um, been going for a few months now. And it just took a little bit of time for me to clearly understand and see the reason why people didn't want this church to exist. And so although we're on UT's campus, um, we aren't just a group of college students. We're just this like hodgepodge mix of people Um, who at some point probably felt like an outcast. And so, honestly, it feels really great to pastor a church full of outcasts. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in the best way possible. To me, being a part of an outcast is somebody who's lived in the margins and um, wants to experience life in a different way to where they can walk in and just be who they are. Or an outcast might be a person who has experienced some privilege and is looking at the world around (laughs) you and just disgusted at the way that people want the poor to stay poor and the rich to stay richer. And so, obviously, there are people who are, you know, somewhere in between there where you feel like you maybe don't fit, but your spirit is just feeling a little bit displaced. You know, your spirit just won't let you find rest for one reason or another. And so I think all of those reasons, they make up this group of people who are here today who have a story, a group of people who want to pursue justice, a group of people who want to serve God and who want to love others well. And so we're really just here, we're just all like, just trying to figure it out, right? Like day by day, week by week, the crazy things that happen within this world, we're just trying to figure it out. And we want to do it in a safe place where we can be vulnerable and we can feel the intimacy of one another, we can feel the intimacy of God. And we can also feel comfortable and safe with just like bringing our baggage in because how many times do we walk into a church and it's just unsafe, you know, where you feel like we've got to put off who we are, we've got to put on this different like facade and we've got to put on this persona to feel like we're going to be accepted, we're going to be like the perfect picture of a Christian or somebody who should even be in church. And so as we are here and we're unpacking these bags together, I think we find ourselves in like these different places, experiencing different things in difficult transitions and seasons where we might find ourselves in like this in-between place. And this in-between place is unknown and uncomfortable, and sometimes it feels like the choices in front of us are just like hard 
and harder and difficult and more difficult. And it's just like we're existing between this rock and this hard place. And so sometimes we start to question God and ask if, he, if even he is able to move in our situation. And we doubt. And then we reason, you know, with our fear. And we kind of go back and forth in this place and sometimes ending up in this cycle of like guilt and shame. And we wonder whether or not God even has a desire or love to fix what is going on around us. And then we start to wonder in that moment, like, will God ever pull me out of like the depths of my despair and pull me into his marvelous light out of this darkness? And so Kat Armstrong, who's the author of The In-Between Place, she came and spoke at both Moon Tower Church and Restore Church. And she talks about the in-between place like this. She says, like it or not, some of our most meaningful, memorable, and life-changing moments in relationship with God are reserved for our in-between places. Where we feel most pinned down or tied up can be, sacred, can be a sacred space for God to hold our attention while he holds our hands. There is a God-redeemed purpose in every part of our stories, and God is working things out for our good. And so we see God hold the attention and lovingly hold the hand of the Samaritan woman at the well as she is in this in-between place. And so if we want to pursue justice and love people like Jesus does, then that means seeking people out rather than waiting them out, like we tend to do sometimes to shield ourselves from hurt and any harm that we feel may come to us. But Jesus sought out the outcast and the other. And the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman includes Jesus going out of his way for an outcast in a marginalized community. And he gets even more radical as he specifically chooses to ignore cultural and social norms and rules of society. And so not only does he ignore everything to be culturally correct, but he spends quality time with this Samaritan woman as this conversation is the longest recorded conversation with Jesus in the New Testament. And he does it with a woman who is the most socially outcast person in the entire community. And so before he goes into this conversation with the Samaritan woman, he's out in Judea, but, and he's, because of the Pharisees, the men who were religious leaders and teachers, um, highly regarded in the community, um, they had just finished questioning Jesus about baptism, and ultimately, um, they did not believe Jesus to be the Messiah, to be the Son of Man. And so we're going to be talking about the Samaritan woman. We're going to be in John Verse, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, and then 39 through 42. It's a lot of text, but I'm going to break it down because I believe it's really important understanding this, the God of justice that we serve. And so verse 1 starts and says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who, was bapti who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So the town of Samaria is the one that everyone would go out of their way to avoid. They would go around it. And so where it says now he had to go through Samaria, um, he's very intentional. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he went with the intention of meeting this woman in this in-between place that she was experiencing. And so verse 5 says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And so a little background on the Samaritan woman is that it's around noon when she encounters Jesus, and she's alone. And so 
Meeting at the well was a social thing, and it's something that was usually done in the morning to gather water for the food, for the family, for the livestock. And so nobody went in the time where it's the most excruciating heat. And so the fact that she was alone, it says a lot about her place in society. And so she's there in the time of the day where she knows that she won't run into anybody. And here Jesus is meeting her exactly where she's at. And so um, she knows that there's not a place for her in society. There's not a place for her in the community. And so not only was she in this marginalized community because um, the Samaritans was a place that people did not want to go, but she was being marginalized within that community and she was completely tossed away as a social outcast. And so verse nine says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so Samaritans have both Jewish and Gentile blood. And so uh, neither the Jews nor the Gentiles really fooled with them. And so um, they lived in this in-between place. They were a mixed race group of people who had this religion that was kind of made up of a lot of different things. And so um, when she says that I'm a Samaritan, she's making this confession to Jesus. Like, do you know who I am? I am a Samaritan. And so that statement carries a lot of weight as she's naming herself. You know, you go to Jesus and you're like, but Jesus, do you know who I am? And so this is her. And so she is in this group of people that's considered to be full of sin, full of corruption and unable to be loved by God. And so this next scene is like even more radical because a Samaritan woman continues to ask Jesus questions and the questions are more and more bold. And so this was taboo, not only because was it inappropriate for a Jew and a Samaritan to be associated, but because um, they are male and female and they're speaking in private. This is just like all around something you are not supposed to do. And so in verse 10, Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. And so I just want to like stop and pause and point out that all you have to do is ask. It doesn't say like you have to do this song and dance and you have to do X, Y. Like it just says, if you knew, if you knew, he would have given you living water. And so verse 11 says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst indeed. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And so she was used to no one ever addressing her because of her position in society. And she was fearful, yet she was tough because she had experienced, because of what she had experienced. And she was bold as she continues to dialogue and question Jesus. And so she's curious and assertive in her situation, although she has been hurt in all the ways that she's been hurt. And so this woman who has been, it's been long enough that she's um, been told that she's not enough. 
and that she'll never fit. And so she believes it. Obviously, she shows up at noon for a reason. She believes um, in what the people have told her, the, wh- who the people have told her that she is. And so she finds her place in society. And so she believes what they say about her. She believes who they say she is. And so she believes what Jesus has to offer is going to solve everything. She won't have to show up every day and she won't have to come and be reminded of the loneliness and the place that she's at in society. And so she begins to let her guard down a little bit and she's overcome with desperation at this point to change her situation. Has anyone ever been there? Overcome just by desperation, wanting things to change so badly. And so verse 16 says, he told her, go call your husbands and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And so I've heard this story taught many times. I've heard this story taught throughout um, the life that I've been inside the church. And so this story is taught as this woman who's caught in this like tangled web of infidelity. Like she's just out there giving her body away and prostituting herself for the whole neighborhood. And so this woman is framed as like this lowly woman who has no self-worth and no value in who she is, but that's not her story. And so this woman has been through it. She's been dealt these cards And the reason why she has had five husbands is because either she may have lost her husbands to war, maybe to sickness, maybe she suffered from infidelity and she was left. The story doesn't specifically say, but being that this was a very patriarchal society, women couldn't file for divorce. And so women were the property of their husbands and women couldn't just leave their husbands. In fact, under Roman law, if you were unfaithful to your husband, then the men had the right to be judge, jury, and executioner. And so um, she could have been killed, you know? And so if she stepped out on five different men, chances are she wouldn't be here having this conversation with Jesus. And so her situation, though, becomes a stain on her within the community. And regardless of her circumstances and reasons why she is there, the customs cultural norms and social norms at that time were very rigid and didn't take compassion and empathy into account. Does that sound familiar? And sometimes people get so wrapped up in being right and thinking that we have to choose between God's grace and his truth in order to love somebody well. But God, the creator of the heavens and earth, doesn't condemn this woman within society, but he meets her where she's at. And not only does he meet her, but he goes out of his way to have this encounter with her, this, life and changing, this life-changing encounter in her loneliness and in her despair. And so she's still like, she's like, who is this man that would approach me, that would speak to me in this way, that would allow me to question him, who would dialogue me, who would who tell me all that I've done, all that I am, who is this man that he wouldn't just look over the fact that I am a Samaritan. I've confessed to him who I am. He knows what I've done. He knows my life story. And yet he's looking over those circumstances and choosing to choose me rather than my situation. And so she's still struggling as most of us would be and as most of us do, although we've been offered God's grace and his miraculous healing, we still struggle. And so she's Um, She responds here in verse 19, it says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Woman, Jesus said, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to me. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And so this is the first moment recorded in John where Christ reveals himself. In some translations, it's translated as I am. So imagine being in your darkest and loneliest place, just like the Samaritan woman, and it takes a little time to convince you of, that you're worthy. You're worthy despite your faults, despite what you've done, despite what you've been through, despite the reasons why you felt like an outcast. Imagine Jesus, he goes out of his way to choose you, and he reveals his nature, and he reveals himself to you as I am. You see, she revealed herself earlier, and Jesus responds, by saying, I am, I am the Alpha and Omega, I am the great healer, I am all that you need. And so Jesus shows his radically inclusive nature in his pursuit of justice as he goes to this forbidden place, does not care about social norms and expectations, but through a woman who was socially outcast and not considered even worthy enough to be a part of her own culture, he chooses her to spread the good news through. The good news about eternity that we have in Jesus through the confession of our faith in Christ. And so he offered spring of water welling up that we would become eternal life. And because Jesus, the great I am, goes out of his way and reaches out into like the depths of our heartache, the depths of our despair, our trouble, our uncertainty, he chooses to love us exactly where we're at, knowing full well who you are, what you've done, and what you've been through. And Get this, none of those things disqualify you from being loved by God, but they qualify you for eternal life. And the scripture says, if only you would just ask. And so Jesus goes out of this way to meet this woman in this rock, in this hard place. And he'll do the same for you because he loves you that deeply. And you'll find him in unexpected ways, in unexpected places to you, but... Jesus always has and always will be intentional. And he will redeem your life's story through his love. And through that redemption, he will redeem others so that you are able to love yourself and love your neighbor. And so after her encounter with Jesus, she drops her water jug and she returns to her town and she tells everything that she has just experienced. And because of that, verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Hmm. He's told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, they, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and know that this man really is the Savior of the world. 
And so Jesus pursues justice for a marginalized community as he intentionally goes where he is not culturally accepted to be in. And he offers a woman living water who is completely outcast from her entire community. And he chooses to go out of his way to love this woman and love her and have compassion on her because he loved her. She is able to love others. You see, before meeting Jesus, she found herself in this in-between place, but God found her just as God has found each one of us. We each have a story about the way that God has transformed our hearts. He's transformed our lives, the lives of our families and our children. And we pray for generation and generation and generation that he will continue to make us well and break generational curses. And so she keeps going. Anybody else had to just keep going? despite what's in front of you, despite the naysayers, despite the people who don't want to see you succeed, you keep going. And so she keeps going despite the people that have judged her. And she shows up, like even showing up to the well was almost like it it was such a testament of who she is. Because how many days is just hard? It's just hard to get out of bed. It's just hard to show up for your family. It's just hard to make that like text, to make that phone call. It's just hard to say, I'm not doing well. It's just hard even to like to get yourself in the shower to do the things that God is calling you to do. It's, it becomes difficult. And so she shows up. Her showing up to the well was huge. And because she showed up, she made room for God to do the miraculous. So this woman, she was strong. She was strong. And when she encounters Jesus, she's just curious enough. She's curious enough to ask questions She's curious enough to ask hard questions and doesn't let what has happened to her and the way that people have treated her keep her then from sharing the good news of the gospel. As she accepts the Holy Spirit, the advocate, she testifies to all of the people who doubted her, outcasted her, told her she wasn't enough. She puts all of that aside because she's been changed by the love of Christ and she doesn't want others to thirst any longer. She wants people to experience their miraculous healing that she encountered with Jesus. And so Jesus brings justice and liberation to this woman as he does for each and every one of us. She was only able then to bring justice and liberation to her community and to others once she had first experienced it for herself. So because she was able to experience justice, then she was able to set others free through her testimony. We can only set other people free when we first, when we set ourselves free first. So know that this process of pursuing justice, there's going to be people in your life who are there for a reason, who are there for a season. I know that through this season, I've lost a lot of friends, but I've also gained a lot as well. And so regardless of the amount of time that people are there, or the ways that they hurt you, or even the ways that you hurt them, there's nothing that anything, that anyone can do that can keep God from loving you. And so although the whole community was hurting, you know, what do hurt people do? They hurt people. And so the whole community was hurting, but it's important that we love people like Jesus if we want to pursue justice as he did and as he does. See, Jesus didn't pursue justice for those only who were hurt, but also for those who did the hurting. He doesn't just save the Samaritan woman and leave, but he saves the entire town who called on the name of Jesus. And honestly, I thank God for that because I've been on both sides of the coin. I've hurt people and I've been hurt by people. And so the Samaritan woman story, it doesn't disqualify her 
to be, it doesn't disqualify her to be loved by Jesus, and neither did the way that people treated her, but her story qualified her to have this encounter with Jesus and experience his extravagant love. So I think we've all been the woman at the well at some point in this rock, existing between this rock and this hard place, not knowing if um, we even have the capacity to accept the living water, to accept the love of Jesus, to accept his grace, to accept his goodness, his kindness, his mercy. But I'm telling you that if we release some things and we let go of some things, we can make room for Jesus to do the miraculous, to do the healing that he wants to do in us and through us and through our families and eventually their children and their children and their children. And so this woman who was living in the margins, she becomes an evangelist and an apostle for her entire community. Through her story and her encounter with Jesus, her world has changed and so is the world around her. At the well, he offers her eternal life and then she testifies, she testifies. How many of us experience the goodness of God but we keep it inside? (laughs) because it's just too messy. But she testifies. She testifies. And because of that, other people were able to experience God's extravagant love and liberation. She's able to give it away because she first received it from God. And so we see here in the story that pursuing justice looks a lot like intentionality loving people where they're at and meeting people exactly where they are. When we do that, people know that they're loved and that they're cared for, and if God did it for us, then he can do it for them as well. Ultimately, this woman who encountered Jesus, she forgot. She forgot in the moment who society told her she was, and she found out whose she was. That changed her life, and if we hold on and we grasp on to the great I am and who God says that we are, then we can love others well who are experiencing life in the margins, others who are far from God and who have been told that they're not enough to be loved by Jesus. What a lie. What a lie. And so I challenge us today to pursue others, to pursue others. Don't wait people out. Pursue others and love just the way that Jesus does and hope that Through who we are, they're able to hear our story of the goodness of God and our encounter with his life-changing love. And through our testimony, um, I pray that we can help others to experience the miraculous healing of Jesus. And so I'm so grateful to be a part of this community where we're doing hard work together, where we can be like this Samaritan woman and we can doubt and we can ask questions and Jesus is going to meet us where we're at. Like, we don't have to be perfect in this, but we have to try. We have to show up, just as everyone has shown up today. And I'm just so blessed, and I'm so grateful to be a part of this this great church, God's church, one church, his kingdom. And so I just want to pray for us that we would find creative ways and creative spaces to encounter people who are feeling like they're not enough, to encounter people who are feeling like they Um, have been left behind because that's not who God is. And so let me pray for us today and then um, have the band come back up and close us out in worship. God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for being who you are, God, for being so faithful, God, for calling us, even when we didn't think we were worthy, God, for placing us to change the hearts and lives of those around us, that they would just feel the overflow of your blessings, 
of your love, of your goodness and grace that's been lavished on us time and time again. So Father, have your way with us, Lord. God, be within our hands, be within our feet as we encounter the community around us. God, I pray that we would just pursue justice in a way that is pleasing to you, knowing that it would look different for each each and every one of us, God, but that you would honor that. God, and so we just love you for being so faithful over us, faithful over our families, God, and loving us exactly where we are. And so, God, I pray we would just lavish that same love on others that we would encounter. God, we just love you, we praise you, we honor you. In your son, Jesus, name we pray, amen.